The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode, Kirsty, aka the Zen Birthkeeper, shares her birth stories of her two children, Sophia and Rio. Growing up, Kirsty never wanted to have children, but within a couple of months of meeting her partner, she had had a change of heart, and Sophia was conceived soon after that. Kirsty birthed both of her babies at home under the care of private midwives, and through the telling of her pregnancy, birth, and postpartum stories, she weaves in the ups and downs of her relationship, friendships, and mental health in a beautifully vulnerable and relatable way. There's also some beautiful footage from both Sophia and Rio's birth, so if you jump on the um, show notes on whatever app you're listening to or onto the website, you can find links to watch both of those. Hi, Kirsty. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you this morning? Hi, Indy. Yeah, I'm doing really good this morning. Yeah. Would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family? And I, we were just chatting before and you mentioned that you're also a birthkeeper and doula. So maybe uh, a little bit about your work and what area you practice out of, if you'd like. Yes. Um, so basically, I um, well, yeah, my name's Kirsty. I have a partner and two children. I just had recently had a home birth um, with my second and I also had a home birth with my first. Um, that... Uh, Yes, sorry, I'm like <laughs> um, a little bit uh, postpartum and my brain doesn't work as quickly as usual. I would talk about processing speed. Um, I'm also a birthkeeper and doula. Um, I have a business called The Zen Birthkeeper and I'm based in Everton Park. Um, and, and that's in Queensland, am I right? Yes, in Queensland, yeah, in Brisbane. So yeah. north side Brisbane. So yeah. if anyone is around that area and um, is looking you know, for a birthkeeper or doula, um, but there's also a lot of us that are around this area as well. So that we've got a really good um, little community of birth workers, which is really beautiful. Mm, amazing. I'll, um, I'll yeah. pop a link to your website in the show notes. So if anyone um, yeah, is interested in finding out more about you, they can jump on there. But, um, yeah, going back to your first birth um, and your first conception, how did that pregnancy come about? Well, um, my first birth is interesting because it's really funny. I always say I never saw myself as someone that would have children. I, I don't know. I just like I had this like kind of egoic concept of like it's so selfish to have children in this world today and blah, blah, blah and all of this like rhetoric. And then 
I met my partner and he is from Brazil and was so beautiful and we met at dancing. Um, it's like my grandparents met at dancing. It's like, a, you know, it's like sounds like a, a story, but like we actually did. <laughs> and um, I met him and he's just so beautiful and I was like, oh, my goodness, I want to have your babies. <laughs> and so I basically got pregnant like. Uh, I would say three months after we met and it was full unconscious conception. It sounds crazy, but we were both just like, we want to have a baby. Like, let's do it. It was, it was very whirlwind romance. That's for sure. And, um, I now know that it was my daughter. Her, her baby spirit was just like so strong and wanted to come through right now. Like, uh, didn't want us to wait. Um, and you know, if we, if we didn't have her then, then she wouldn't be who she is today. So um yeah very very strange and also like yeah when we tell people that we consciously conceive after three months they're like oh whoa (laughs) you know we just knew in our hearts and I thought that was really beautiful that we both you know flowed with that and didn't kind of like resist um I was uh, sorry were you going to say something Uh, I was just going to say yeah given that you're consciously trying to conceive did you find out quite early oh yeah so um I, so basically my whole life I've always been like paranoid, oh, am I pregnant, am I pregnant, you know, every little um, symptom you're like, oh, am I pregnant, even though you're like you get your period or whatever. And then this time I was doing acupuncture training in Japan and I got some like pink spotting and I was like, oh, I'm getting my period early, you know, and this is like when we had consciously had like a week of unprotected sex. It didn't even cross my mind I was pregnant. <laughs> and um my partner called me and he was like he was at a festival and he's like hey it's really weird I just had this dream and I met our daughter and she was six and she was um skipping around me and I asked her like what her name is and she said oh my name's Sophia and he's like oh that's a beautiful name uh and she's like yeah you gave it to me and he was like oh my goodness so he called me to tell me and I was like whoa that's really weird that you met our daughter and, um, yeah, so I was in Japan. I couldn't do a test or anything. I just still didn't even cross my mind even after that dream. And um, he then – I then passed out. I was, like, in – I never I never faint or anything, but when I was in my training, I, I fainted. And um, my mentor, like, did a, um, a treatment on me, and he told me that I was liver yang deficient, which is the classic first trimester pregnancy um, uh what do you call it, Di- uh, not diagnosis, um, classic first trimester, like symptom, mm. like symptomatically come up as liver yang deficient because, um, yeah, I could go into why, but <laughs> I won't. Uh, anyway, I've never been yang, liver yang deficient in my life, so I was like, whoa, uh, just all these things like leading up to that, and I still didn't think I was pregnant. <laughs> and, um, yeah, got back to Australia and was watching a movie, and then it just dawned on me that I think I'm pregnant. And so I, like, ran down to my um, bathroom and my partner was still watching the movie. I didn't even tell him what I was doing. I just, like, (laughs) ran away and, like, went and did the test and it came up positive and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And, yeah, I can't believe that I didn't, like, even suspect it up until that point. So dumb. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and so then I ran up and told him. I was like, come come down, come down. And he's like, oh, you know, it could just be wrong. Uh, you should just wait and do another test, like, you know, in a month. I'm like, I'm not waiting a month. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I had another brand pregnancy test um, in, like, in my packet that I'd had from, I think that was, like, from the, 
Yeah, from the month before because I thought that I was pregnant and then I got my period, which is weird because, like, obviously the baby spirit was, like, coming in at that point. Um, and anyway, I did the test and, yeah, it came up positive again and we were both just like looking at each other like oh my god we're going to be parents and actually to be honest the very first thing that ran through my mind was oh my god I have to birth this baby (laughs) (laughs) and um you know I just feel like in our culture and in our um, society especially like me personally have felt very fearful of birth like to begin with I was like very like oh my god it's gonna hurt going to be this like you know this traumatic experience where you like there's like 10 doctors standing around you and everyone's screaming and push and you know like they show in the movies like the really the hectic um birth scenes um and also I was a breech baby myself so my mum had a cesarean with me so I feel like I've got that kind of um that cellular imprint from a hospital birth in my body um and so I feel like uh, for me, so in my work as a doula and, and birth keeper, I really am passionate about women giving birth where they feel the safest. And for some people that is the hospital and for other people that's their home. Um, and for some people it's like a birth centre, so somewhere that's like in between a hospital and home. Um, and for other women that's free birthing alone in a forest, you know, and that's okay. And I support all women um, to birth where they feel the safest. And um, for me, I personally feel like I felt safest at home. And I didn't actually realise until I was pregnant that I would, you know, want to have a home birth from the get-go. Um, but my little my little being, my inner child was like, I don't want to be in a hospital. Um, so, yeah, we um, – my partner was a little bit at first um, – not that not he wasn't on board, but he was just a little bit apprehensive because being from Brazil, they have a super high cesarean rate. Um, and his his sister-in-law has had three planned cesareans. And so that was the only kind of birth that he was he had been exposed to. So, um, yeah, we had to work through a bit of stuff with that. But then um, basically he was like, it's your body, it's your birth, you know, um, I want to support you to do what, where like where where you feel safest and um we also lived an hour an hour from the hospital so if anyone lived in mount and um up in the mountain beautiful beautiful but um yeah far from the hospital and i was like i don't want to drive you know like i got into the birth center at the royal brisbane hospital but um i didn't want to drive while in labor to go to the hospital you know when i didn't really even want to be there so yeah, we um we hired mm. private um, home birth midwives and and that started our home birth journey. Mm, amazing, yeah. And yeah, it sounds like you were already kind of doing that birth work more already a doula before you fell pregnant. Is that right? Um no, not so much. So I got into birth work. Um, I've basically been interested in birth my whole life, funnily enough. Like, even as a little kid, I used to make my mum read me um, textbooks on birth and, like, read the real gory bits and stuff. And mum was like, oh, you're four. <laughs> but she would still read it to me and that kind of thing. So I've always been interested in it, which is funny that I never thought I'd have kids. So I really love that, like, kind of looking back on. But, um, no, I was um, doing traditional Japanese acupuncture um, and training with my mentor and, yeah, working with pregnant women um, but not 
exclusively. We were working with musculoskeletal and like chronic fatigue and um, all kinds of things. So that's kind of what I was in before I got pregnant. And then I kind of, um, once I started reading all the all of my books and I'm a real big reader. So when I got pregnant, I was like, oh my goodness, this is a whole new world. And I really realized that um, it's a niche of mine. Like I really love birth work and I also realized that there's a big deficit in terms of the care that women get um, in the mainstream versus like the care that they should be receiving and that the nourishment that they need um, in this massive transition in their lives. And um, I started looking into, you know, the policies and the reform and the activists that have come before me and, yeah, it's, it's all really interesting. And so, um, yeah, yeah, that's what led me to my birth work and, mm. and doula work. Yeah, amazing. And um, throughout that first trimester, how were you feeling in your body? Were you, did you have any kind of classic morning sickness symptoms come up or were you quite well? Um, I, I feel like, you know, one, well, so because I've had my second, I can now compare, um, but I feel like I was quite well um, in the first trimester, but I felt like I, so compared to how I was in the first trimester with my second, um, I was quite well, but at the time I felt so nauseous. I'm pretty sure, like, I was like, why is it called morning sickness? I'm like, I just feel it's all day sickness. Um, but I only had that until maybe 14 weeks and I didn't vomit at all. It was just like constant seasickness basically. Um, yeah, and lived off those ginger chew things, you know, those like oh, yeah. ginger chews. Yeah, I lived off those. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. Um, and, yeah, progressing further into your pregnancy, you had um, your private midwives assisting you. Did they provide some kind of birth education or did you rely pretty heavily on the reading that you were doing? Um, yeah, so I read heaps, but they also did like antenatal classes, which was really cool. We had like three or four classes, I think, and I've actually stayed friends with all the girls that were or women that were in my um, antenatal class, so that's really beautiful. Um, and we were all having home births and we're all due around the same time, so that was really nice. Um, and it was really like intimate. I think there was only four of us, five of us, yeah, mm. so yeah. So they provided, um, yeah, the education. They had, like, a, a base um, in Stafford. Um, they're no longer there anymore. But, yeah, they had a base there, which was really nice. And, yeah. Mm. And, yeah, heading into the final weeks of your pregnancy, how were you feeling then and when did labour start for you? Yeah, well, I um, I have relied as well a lot on acupuncture and herbs during my pregnancy. So I was still working at the acupuncture clinic, I think, up until, I can't remember, it might have been 30 weeks, 32 weeks. No, 32 weeks I was still working with, with my mentor, Alan. Um, and so I was getting treated all the time and I was treating myself and taking herbs. So I feel like that supported my body a lot leading up into the um into my last trimester yeah I took the time off in the last few weeks because I realized you know this is going to be the last time of me being just me uh, like with myself before I have a little being to take care of um and yeah I went into false labor at 38 weeks um my partner and I had just made love and I started getting cramping and they were like three minutes apart and I was like, oh, my goodness, is this labour? Um, 
and I was timing it and it went for four hours and then I kind of got to midnight and so I tried to sleep and then it woke up and did, like, you know, nothing had happened. So I was like, okay. And um, so then that was the week before. And then when I was 39 weeks, 39 and two, um, I woke up in the morning at 1 a.m. to like this massive contraction, but I didn't realize it was that I just woke up and I was like, ow, okay. I thought it was just me turning over or something, like, and that's what it hurt. Um, and I just went back to sleep. And then when my partner got up at four to go to work, um, I realized that I was cramping quite regularly. And so I just started timing it. And I said to him to go to work because it could just be um, false labor like the week before. And so, yeah, I was like timing them. They're about seven minutes apart. Um, and then I think he got to work and then I called him. I was like, you need to come home. Like, this is actually labor, I think. And um, he came home. And, yeah, I um, was in actual labor. My midwife came over, I think, at 1 p.m. And so I'd been in labor since I, 4. I count it from 4. It's probably since 1. But, you know, um, with the... Uh, with sleeping through, I didn't realize um, I was in labor. And mm. so she came over to check me. And I didn't want any cervical checks to begin with. But then after having the bout of, like, false labor the week before, I really wanted to know that, like, this was real. <laughs> like, I was like, just tell me, like, you know, that it's, something's actually happening. And so she checked me and I was four centimeters. And so that was... Even though now I know, you know, like centimetres mean nothing. Um, but, you know, at the time it was just something solid that I could kind of be like, okay, it's real, you know, and really get my mind into it, like get my mind away from being on and like wondering if it's, you know, this is real or not, which now I'm really happy, you know, since having my second, which I was telling that story, but I can really trust my body a lot more. And, um, yeah, so she checked me and I was four centimetres, so... I'd been in labor for seven hours, I think, what, four to one. I don't even know what that is. That's six, seven, eight, eight hours. And um, so she offered to do a stretch and sweep on me to just get things moving. I put it in inverted commas. And um, at the time I was just like, yep, sure, do it, like anything to kind of like make it hurry along because, you know, eight hours I was starting to get tired. Um and so she did that and, yeah, I didn't realise that that was going to hurt a lot. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I got things going and because, yeah, I never lost my waters or my mucus plug. So I, that was part of the reason why I didn't know if it was real or not was because I was like, oh, I've always heard, you know, you lose your waters or you lose bits of your plug or something like that. And so after she did this stretch and sweep, um, my plug came fully out and I was like, okay, cool. And then, yeah, that it really kicked in and started to be really intense. And that was good because I was like, hey, this is real. And, yeah, I basically laboured until I think midnight and then they checked me again. And this was at home and we had the birth pool set up and we had um, all our fairy lights and, yeah, it was really beautiful. And... Uh, the, only, the only downside was that I lived in a little cottage, so it was really quite cramped. And we had um, a student midwife. She was amazing, um, as well as our two midwives, my doula, um, 
my mum and my partner and me in like a little tiny cottage. <laughs> um, but it was winter and we had the fire going and it was really like quite beautiful. But I feel like that, yeah, it was quite cramped. Um, but yes, so what was the. Um, what sort of things? What sort of things were you doing to help kind of manage the intensity of the contractions during your labour? Were you were you in the birth pool for most of the time? Or? Yeah, so it was actually really funny when I was first in labour. I got in the shower and I had a fifteen minute shower, not thinking, and then realised that we don't have any hot water left. So it took basically that whole time to refill the hot water and everyone was like boiling pots on the stove and all of this stuff to put in the birth pool. Oh, um, yeah, so I didn't actually get to get in the birth pool until I think it was maybe 9 o'clock. But you know how like your brain is so um, like you can't really perceive time. So it might have been like way earlier, but I can't tell. Um, yeah. I always remember things like from birth way different to how they actually happen. So that's why I've had to like watch my birth video a lot and like chat to the people that were there to kind of like piece it back together in the actual way it happened, not in like the trippy version that I remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I was using, um, sorry, heat packs. Heat packs was my main one. Um, like they were going upstairs. So I lived on my mum and dad's property, um, in their cottage, and so everyone was going up to mum and dad's house to heat up the, um, heat packs because I didn't have a microwave. So yeah. Yeah, right. That must have been. Were you? Did you feel like you were kind of um, aware of all of that bustling and and kind of logistical stuff going on around you, or were you really able to drop drop into your kind of birthing brain and and you know not notice all that stuff going on around you? I feel like I was really in my birthing brain because this was at night time then. Um, I feel like in the daytime I was really analytical and in my like thinking brain, and then once night time came around, I really was like. Yeah, unaware of that happening. I was aware of people, you know, coming up and doing hip squeezes on me and that kind of thing, but I wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't like, stop bustling, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I think there was one thing I was aware of was like at one stage the midwives kind of whispered to each other something and I, I got really paranoid. I was like, what are you whispering about, you know? And they were like, oh, we're just, you know, saying that uh, one of the one of the midwives can't swallow pills. And I was like, oh, okay, thank God. <laughs> I was like, you know, when you hear whispering, I was like, what's happening, you know? But, yeah, yeah, that was about the only thing that I was aware of. And I think that that was because it was getting towards the end. And, yeah, I think I was in transition at that point. And yeah. just getting to the whole, like, I actually asked for a cesarean. I was like, can you just take me to the hospital? I just I just want a cesarean. I just want it out. Like, mm. They're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay here and you're going to have your baby. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, that, like, belligerence of, like, can someone just do it for me? I'm just over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Classic crisis of confidence. Like, um, yes. About <laughs> And um, you mentioned that you had another um, another cervical check. When when was that? And was that something that you asked for? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, I think they I think I had three cervical checks over the time. I think the first one I was four centimeters, the second one I was six, and then the last one was when I was ten. And so um, the sixth one was around four p.m. And that was when the other midwives got there. So the first midwife got there at like one. And then, yeah, the others got there yeah, around four. And then I think they checked me at midnight. And, um, yeah, I 
was fully dilated. I put in inverted commas, but I never got the urge to push. So um, they kind of um, told me when to push and that kind of thing, which I'm grateful for because as a first-time mum, I didn't know, you know, like um, some people can, you know, say they breathe their baby down and they get like the, um, the like the urge to push comes naturally to them and it did for my my son my second birth I like now can recognize it but as a first time mum like I didn't know the feelings and sensations in my body as well and so it was like nice to be guided through that and be told you know like what to do um so but I pushed for a couple of hours I would have pushed for like almost oh yeah maybe it was two hours that I pushed for before she came out Mm, um yeah and I kept like it was because I kept refusing to squat they're like can you squat and I was like no I don't like squatting and then when it got like right towards the end they're like do you want to try a squat I'm like yeah and I just like got straight into a squat and basically her head just dropped straight into the birth canal and about 10 minutes later she was born (laughs) so um if I hadn't have been so belligerent and um had actually just squatted to begin with who knows if I'd been pushing for that long but yeah mm, yeah and um and did your partner um catch it was it a was it a little girl or yeah yeah so my um my daughter yeah um he it was it's actually funny he was really sick that day like he woke up with the flu and I was like you can't have the flu I'm you know I'm in labor and and he, but he was so sick and I feel so bad because I was so mean to him he was like he's like I need to go sit down I'm like you're not sitting down you have to hold me you know mm-hmm. um but yeah poor thing he was like passing out um but yeah by the end, he was definitely there, and he um, held me in like a, in a squat um, in the pool. And so, because he was holding me, he couldn't catch her, and I was holding on to him so much, so I didn't catch her either. She just kind of shot out into the water. Um, it was really interesting looking at the birth video, which is actually on my Instagram um, for my business. So if anyone's listening and goes to it, you can watch the the last four minutes of it. Um, but basically, yeah, like watching her come out and her head turn and she was still in her waters right up until the end. Um, and so I think it was like the second last push, the waters burst and you can see it kind of trickling down in the, into the water, into the pool water. And that's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, she did, her head did the restitution thing and then she just, like, basically shot out. And, yeah, I, like, reached down. Oh, actually, Naomi, um, the student midwife at the time, she kind of stopped her from hitting the ground. So that was good. She had her hand there and stopped her from hitting the ground. Um, and then, yeah, I just reached down and picked her up and she was wrapped in the cord. So the cord wasn't around her neck. It was like around the back of her neck, really tight. Like if you can kind of imagine that. Um, and so, yeah, everyone in the video, you can see, but everyone kind of jumps in to try and undo it, but it was really tight. And, um, by then, Sophia was already crying. She was just like kind of hunched over because like it wasn't around the neck. It was just around the back. So she was just like, ah. Like trying to move, um, and yeah, uh, they got they got the cord off, and then she came up to me, and yeah, she pinked up straight away. Like it was really beautiful, um, and yeah, so that was her. And then I think the placenta was born like an hour later um, on the toilet because I was having trouble like 
doing it in the bed. And this is where I was like, I don't understand how women can give birth on their backs because I couldn't even birth the placenta on my back. I was like, you know, I had to be in a standing position. Um, and, yeah, I actually felt the placenta detach from my womb. Like I could feel it felt like hairs being pulled, not in like a painful way, but just like in a that's what it felt like, detaching. And so, yeah, that was a really interesting sensation. Wow, that's fascinating. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, oh. interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm, amazing, especially the f- kind of the first time. I'm, for me, that was just all the sensations were so overwhelming. I don't think I, if I could have, you know, pinpointed really any particular sensations, even kind of during the birth. But, um, yeah, amazing. Mm. Um, and, yeah, how were those first few hours after birth and um, once the placenta had been delivered and I guess the midwives are kind of heading home and, yeah, how were the first few hours and days and what was your initiation with breastfeeding like? Um, well, it was really quite beautiful. I feel bad for the midwives because they were there for, like, 18 hours. Like, it was so long. So I think um, Marlene got there at 1 and then, so it was like, and then they didn't leave till six. So what's that? Like, yeah, all well, 15 hours. Oh, no, no, 17, 18 hours. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, they were so warrior women, you know, <laughs> to be there with me for that long. Um, so I was feeling for them. Um, but basically, I put Sophia to my chest and she did the breast crawl. And um, we have that on film too, which is really cute. Um, of her doing the head bob all the way up to my nipple and latching on. And yeah, that was really nice. So um, I really feel like I had a really beautiful, excuse me, um, transition into breastfeeding and into motherhood. Um, I didn't leave the mountain for a month. So she was basically born there and, yeah, I didn't leave. I just stayed in bed and um, lucky that I lived with my parents as well. They um, took care of both of us and, you know, made lots of food and my partner had, I think he had three weeks off, which was, yeah, really nice and he was in between jobs at the time as in he just finished his last one as she was born and then he was starting his next one in a couple of weeks. So, it was a really awesome time for us as a family to bond and, um, yeah, because it was winter, it was really nice too. We'd just sit in front of the fire and, like, yeah, like lots of warm clothes and that kind of thing, whereas um, with my second, he's just been born in the middle of summer, which was a completely different experience. So they're literally both of them, their births and their the stories are just yin and yang, and it's funny because they're a little boy and little girl. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, amazing. Sounds like you had really good support and, um, yeah, kind of a kind of ideal environment, having family around and your partner off work and that sort of thing. But um, obviously mm-hmm. postpartum is still messy and challenging even with all those things. Mm-hmm, definitely. And it's such a huge, um, huge transition and I, not a lot of people talk about, like, how much anxiety can come with the sudden responsibility of being, like, the sole person obviously not because I've got my partner but like as the mother being the only person that can keep this little child alive you know like it's like oh my goodness it's such a huge responsibility and um yeah we don't really like talk that much about that and I remember feeling like um I had all these like really intrusive thoughts of like which I've talked to other mothers about and and other mothers get it as well and of like, you know, you'll be walking down the stairs and you'll just like imagine like a really 
hectic scenario where you fall down the stairs and you drop the baby, you know, and it was so intense. No one had told me about that, that that was going to happen, you know, and then I just get so scared I'm going to drop her, you know, so you just start walking. But you know that it's like a it's like a primal thing to keep your baby safe, you know, showing you all the risks that's going to happen, but it's still very overwhelming to have these, like, graphic images, like, mm. yeah, basically intrusive thoughts happening. Um, yeah, I experienced that as well after my daughter was born and um, had to have somebody kind of tell me, yeah, that's normal. And it's, yeah, it's challenging because I think um, that can border on becoming not normal and, and be one of the symptoms of, um, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but um, I've been told that that can be one of the symptoms of like postnatal anxiety and depression as well. So, yeah, it's hard. Like you're adjusting to, yeah, learning to be responsible and having to be aware of dangers and preempt things that could be dangerous so that you can take care of your baby. And it's that, you know, like you're overcompensating, I suppose, in your with your imagination and your visualization of things that could happen and go wrong. So it's, yeah, it can be really, can be a bit overwhelming and a bit fear inducing when that starts to happen at the beginning but um how how did that kind of turn out for you and um yeah just interested I guess to know a little bit about your kind of emotional and psychological state afterwards and whether that whether those feelings just started to subside or um turned into anything else or yeah how how did emotional adjustment into parenting go as the months went on yeah, um, I think that, that that's kind of the most intense part that I can remember is the um, is that those intrusive thoughts and like it's yeah I, I really feel like I then had quite intense postpartum anxiety but at the time I couldn't really identify it as just being postpartum I just thought that I just had really high anxiety you know what I mean because I was already quite an anxious person before I had her but then yeah, I couldn't really differentiate, like, was it from postpartum or, you know, is that just me or, you know, they're one and the same really. But, um, yeah, I now look back on it and realise, like, obviously it's faded a lot because, like, you you know, as you go on, you can't really remember that much that happened in that period because it's it fades. But, um, yeah, I feel like I was quite anxious, Um especially because we lived so far away. So I didn't really have the connection with community that I've had this time around. As, as much as I had my parents there, my mum actually went to France like six weeks after she was born. So my dad was working a lot. My partner went back to work. So it was basically just me there with the baby. And anytime we had, I wanted to go anywhere, I had to drive an hour each way. Um, so that was, and she hated the car. So she'd always be screaming and I was adamant I wasn't going to give her a dummy. So, um, I don't know why, like I just had in my head, she's not having a dummy, <laughs> um, which, yeah, with this bubba, um, different story. But, um, yeah, and so driving was just a nightmare as well. So I didn't really have that, um, yeah, like community and other mothers. Like I was basically in my – so I don't know if you experienced this when you had your baby, but did your whole friendship group change? Because my whole friendship group changed, like – as soon as I became a mother, it was like people that have babies now are my friends or like more my friends than people that didn't because um, mm-hmm. your, your whole frequency and energy changes, I feel. So it's not so much that you're not friends with those people anymore. It's just that you're on like a completely different vibe and almost like a different dimension really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I was really lucky that a lot of my or well, both of my super close friends and lots of other friends already had 
um, little children around the same time. So I was really lucky that, you know, my, my really close friendships didn't change a lot. But, yeah, definitely um, in kind of the first 18 months after Alice was born, I was really only spending time with new friends that had babies the same age and my mother's group and that. And I've only just started to kind of notice that shift away from that and, um, um, yeah, I guess renewing old friendships and making friends with people who don't have children again. But, yeah, yeah there was definitely a period and particularly I was quite isolated after Alice was born as well, not nowhere near as much as you, but I think when you are and you don't, you know, you don't have the opportunity to be socialising a lot, it's it's so powerful to be spending the time that you do spend with other people with with people with kids the same age. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can definitely see um, how how important that is in early early parenting. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and especially with the kids um, that are like similar age, and um, it's really interesting because I um, had known this guy called Mike from my work at um, I used to work at a bar or a tavern at um, the Eaton's Hill Hotel and I knew him and um, I had him on my Facebook and Marlene posted something about oh no she told me Marlene was my midwife she told me something about oh Jess and Mike's birth and I was like I know Mike and I like I knew that he was married to Jess and but I'd never met Jess and so they had those those guys as their midwives too and so um, I messaged Mike and I was like oh hey we had the same midwives and he put me in touch with Jess and Jess had a little boy Leo who is eight months older than Sophia and so that was like my first kind of mama friend and now we're just like besties and we actually would just had our second babies a month apart so we were pregnant again like the second time together which was really beautiful and it really made such a big difference to be able to hang out with another like-minded mama um who yeah eight months difference which isn't that much like in terms of um child development we were able to talk about heaps of stuff and yeah, it was really beautiful to have that connection. And then now this time around, yeah, with our pregnancies and our births and, and everything, being able to experience it all together was really made such a big difference in terms of, yeah, just like com- comrade, comrade, comradity. You know what I mean? Sisterhood. Sisterhood is the better one. Comrade's like male. But yeah. If you're in the army or something. Um, yeah, absolutely. I am. I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I, after my daughter was born, I went to my midwives and got the phone numbers of all of the women who had had babies um, with them that year and messaged them all and started a mother's group with those. And, I, yeah, if I highly recommend doing that to anyone who's having a home birth. Um, contact your midwives, find out whether they can pass on a message or, or connect you um, with the other women who are birthing with them because it is amazing. Mother's groups are incredible and especially if... Um, you know, if you've all chosen, if you all have enough in common that you're choosing to home birth or whatever, it's highly likely that, um, you know, you're going to form good bonds with those people. And I think um, the council mothers groups can be hit and miss, sometimes amazing, sometimes not. But, um, yeah, I definitely recommend. It can feel daunting to reach out in that way, but it's so rewarding and, um, yeah, really amazing having friends with children the same age who you also have stuff in common with. 
Mm. Yeah, that's such a good idea to do that and and reach out. I think it was good that we had that antenatal group with the midwives because then we, we did a mother's group once, but I think that all of us, we live really um, in different suburbs in Brisbane, like so kind of not convenient um, and like far away. So that never kind of, we didn't have regularity in that. Um, mm. But I did, I did get invited to the home birth um, Queensland mother's group slash birth circle um, by my friend Amanda who's an acupuncturist and she um, was actually my acupuncture tutor at uni and so um, she reached out when I had my bubba because she just had hers maybe I think it was like maybe six months before me and so yeah we'd go um, and I'd go to that once a month and so that was like a nice thing to do regularly and uh, with other home birthing mums from around Brisbane not just like you know in my area um and yeah everyone had babies all different ages but yeah some the same and like toddlers running around and yeah it was really nice to go to to that and we talk about you know birth activism and you know changing different things in like the birth sphere and and that kind of thing so yeah really inspiring as well mm, definitely mm. and um yeah moving forward um to your next pregnancy how yeah how are you feeling about yeah you've gone before you met your partner, you were saying that you hadn't really even wanted to have children and then you'd very, very quickly fallen pregnant. So it must mm -hmm. have been quite a, um, you know, adjustment in your mind <laughs> to being a mother as well as as well as just on a practical level and traversing pregnancy and birth. But, yeah, making the decision um, to have a second baby, what was that like after your previous birth? Well, it's actually quite interesting and I just know people are going to think that um, like listening to this podcast just think like that I'm crazy and I kind of am, you know, I'm Aquarius, I'm very eccentric and I don't do things linearly and so I think that that's part of the reason why I was just so open to when I did get pregnant with my daughter just being like going with the flow and being like, oh, this is just the way it's meant to be, you know, I'm just being an air sign, I'm very very flexible and very just like open to open to life and what it has to offer I don't have like a kind of set thing in my brain of what I want from life you know it's like I know I feel like we're like partners in that way me and life but um yeah so my partner and I actually broke up um in June of 2019 and I actually look back on that now and think that it had to do with the postnatal anxiety I was experiencing and I also had this kind of, um, I don't know, I, hindsight is a funny thing. It's like 2020 vision, right? And I can look back on it and think that I was really clinging to my maiden self a lot. And I was like not um, accepting, you know, well, not, 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 not that I wasn't accepting my new role as a mother, but I just was kind of in denial of like the way that my life was going to be. And I guess, get, uh, guess that. Um, as well with the monotony of like when you're a first-time mum. You're so used to just being able to do anything that you want, you know, whenever you want, and then all of a sudden it's like you have another person to think about and that person is quite intense and demanding and like they need all of your attention or most of it. Now I look back on it, my daughter actually was quite demanding as a baby compared to like my new bubba who is very chill, so she was very quite intense. And that's just her personality. She's very fiery. She's very strong-willed. Um, but, yeah, so from the get-go, I feel like that played a big role in my partner and my mental health. 
and also living quite isolated from everything. We weren't going out. We weren't dancing anymore. We weren't, you know, doing the things that we enjoyed because um, we were so far from everything. And I also think that I was so anxious to leave my baby. Like I wouldn't want to leave her with my parents or leave her at all. You know, I was yeah, very anxious in that way. Um, and so I think that that contributed to us breaking up. And so there was all this other stuff that happened, but I'm not going to go into that here. But, yeah, so we broke up in June and we were broken up for nine months. And um, in that time, you know, in that space, we explored ourselves and we still, like, were friends and my daughter went and stayed with him on the weekends. I actually moved to a um, permaculture community in Natural Bridge, um, called Grounded Permaculture. They're amazing uh, and also all friends of mine from before. And, yeah, so I lived there for a while with her, which was really beautiful to be able to experience, like, true community, like living on the land and growing our own food and that kind of thing. So that was really nice. Um, and then in March 2020, um, it would have been around February, though, that Yuri and I started, like, reconciling we went to couples counseling as well in that time um and we started reconciling and it was all around the covid stuff when covid started happening um we were just kind of, it kind of really put things into perspective for both of us and we were just like why are we fighting like why are we not together you know we really missed each other and it really made us like take a good look at that and basically as soon as we got back together um i started feeling this like baby spirit around me being like I need to come in right now and I've never felt something so strong of like we need to have a baby right now and again this is why I'm like everyone's gonna think I'm crazy I was like I can't explain it but we need to have a baby and he was like okay <laughs> and so we basically got back together and I got pregnant straight away and so I was like oh my goodness like I literally this baby like he needed to come through then and that's how I felt about the other, like with Sophia as well. And so both conscious conceptions, I've only been pregnant twice in my life. I am very, um, what do you call it, very strong about my um, views on um, con uh, contraception. So I've always been very, very pedantic about that. Um, so basically, yeah, whenever I've wanted to be pregnant, I have and I'm very blessed to um, – to have experienced that and, um, yeah, and listen to the baby spirits as well that were telling me exactly when they wanted to come. So, yeah, um, I can't remember the question now, but you were saying about when I got pregnant again and so I just had to tell the backstory because, yeah, we were broken up and, yeah. and I got pregnant. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. And, um, yeah, another quick conception it sounds like. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it's crazy. Like, it makes no sense to anyone else, but we're following our hearts, you know, and we're like, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it was all the way it's meant to be for us. Yeah. And you alluded to this pregnancy, um, this most recent pregnancy, not being so um, easy as the first one. Do you want to share a little bit about, um, yeah, what your pregnancy was like health-wise? Yeah, so I experienced quite a lot during this pregnancy and they say every pregnancy is a journey you know and I have definitely learned a lot through this journey and um, I was sick not with hypermimesis or anything but like not vomiting but I was nauseous constantly day and night until 20 weeks 
Um, so that was really trying. And then basically from week 14 onwards, I had constant migraines, like maybe three a week where I was having to take painkillers for them um, from the doctor. And I hate taking medication on the best of times. So to have to be on painkillers, like that was just awful, especially like then I had all the anxiety, am I going to hurt my baby, you know, which I knew that I wouldn't because the doctor, they were like safe for pregnancy, but still like going from someone who doesn't take medication for anything to having to take it, you know, like every second day um, was, yeah, very confronting. And I was treating myself with acupuncture and herbs and um, all of the, all the things to try and help and getting Cairo and like, yeah, basically pouring money into my body to keep it healthy. Um, and yeah, so I went, had to go get an MRI because my midwife was worried that, you know, it was something else like a blood clot, a tumor or, you know, something sinister in my brain. Um, cause yeah, I started getting, um, what do you call it, ocular migraines where it like wipes your vision out as well. I got that those a few times and um, that was really scary. Um, so, yeah, I went and had an MRI and that was awful. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI but they're terrifying and, um, yeah, it was like very anxiety-inducing and my bubble was like kicking me the whole time and um, MRIs are really loud, like really they have to put earplugs in because it's like, yeah, like this robotic noise and it's really quite disconcerting. It sounds like a horror movie. <laughs> so I had like this really ang anxious um, reaction to everything and, yeah, so that, was, that wasn't good. And um, but it turned out everything was fine. My brain was fine because that was the thing that the doctor was worried about and my midwife. Um, and, yeah, they were just hormonal induced apparently and so that's the only thing they could put it down to. And so I got those basically all through the second trimester and they kind of petered off towards the end of the second trimester, which was good, but I still got them periodically in the third trimester, which I then wasn't able to um, take any painkillers for because you have to stop um, taking them in the third trimester. Um, yeah, so that was interesting. And then, yeah, my body, I just had like really sore back and he was posterior the, basically the whole time. Um, he, he moved a few times and it was like um, lateral, but then he would just go back to being posterior. So, yeah, it was funny. I was talking to um, my sister, my well, Yuri's sister-in-law. So I guess is that my sister-in-law? I don't know. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> she's in Brazil and she was telling me about her pregnancies with her boys because she's got two boys and one girl. And she's like, the men's, they will destroy your body from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> so she reckons it was because he was a boy. But um, I don't know how true that is, but it was just funny hearing her say that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and did you go with the same midwives again this time around? No, no. So those midwives, um, they stopped private they stopped practicing privately. So I was um I went in with my um my friend April had just had a home birth. Um, with this beautiful midwife, Georgina, and she is also in my area and an amazing um, amazing midwife. And I'd met her because I was April's doula. And so I'd met her and so I messaged her straight away as soon as I found that I was pregnant because I knew that I was going to be due around Christmas. 
And I was like, oh, no, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to find a midwife because it's Christmas and all that. And so, um, yeah, I messaged her straight away. And she's like, yeah, I usually don't take on people around Christmas because, you know, time with my family. She's like, but um, I will definitely take you on because, you know, um, I've met you and, yeah, you seem lovely. So, yeah, um, I booked her basically. I think I was like eight weeks pregnant or nine weeks pregnant and booked her and, um, yeah, yeah. Mm. And did you have much impact from COVID on your pregnancy? Did that kind of, um, yeah, impact what your healthcare looked like or just or just your own sort of well-being? Look, I think I'm very, very blessed and fortunate to have not experienced COVID in the same ways as lots of people did because I was living on the community um, and I lived there until I was, I think I was five months, hold on, March, April, May. I was three months, so for my whole first trimester, I was living in the community um, and we had like 10 people living or 15 people living on, like on the same land and in like all in different houses, but we had like 10 people living in our house by itself. So we were able to, you know, we had like, like um, bonfires at the back and community dinners and all kinds of stuff, like right in the middle of all the COVID stuff in Queensland. So I feel very blessed and fortunate to not have been isolated during that time socially. Um, there was like the weirdness of, you know, going to the shops and stuff, but definitely I lived in quite a different, um, I'm going to say dimension again, than everyone else was because of my living situation. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like that was really good. Um and also being on land, you know, like our backyard was like, you know, acres. So I could just go for massive walks with Sophia if I wanted. We had a creek, you know, and now it sounds like I'm bragging, but I swear I'm not. I just feel like I was just very blessed and very fortunate. Um, mm, yeah. And yeah, but with my care, no, it didn't change anything. Um, Georgina didn't, I don't think she started coming and we didn't start having regular sessions until I was like 20 weeks, I think. And by then I'd moved, it could have been slightly earlier, um, I can't remember, but by then I'd moved to Brisbane and living in Everton Park and so we have this townhouse and so she would just come to us and even when we were only able to have like one person visit or whatever, it was fine because it was just her, you know, So and because I wasn't going to any appointments or anything. I think actually, you know, um, now that I remember my first ultrasound, I wasn't going to have any ultrasounds at all and... I said to Georgina, I would if it was medically indicated, like to have an ultrasound, because I just I don't see the point of having procedures done if there's no reason to. Um, and yeah, and I get like a, a lot of a lot of the time there is reason to, but yeah, I didn't feel to do that. But then when I was 14 weeks pregnant, my daughter jumped on my belly and I got like a little bit of bleeding, and so I went to the hospital and had a scan. But that was right in the height of the COVID stuff and he wasn't allowed to come into the room, you know, for the ultrasound and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I think that's the only thing that really affected us, mm. really. Yeah. Yeah, and then leading into um, this most recent birth, how did labour start this time around? Uh, this one's a, a funny one. Well, not funny. It wasn't funny for me. But basically I was having um, prodromal labour from about, my first bout of it was 32 weeks um, where – and so I just kind of – it was whenever I would overdo it, I just had to kind of rest a lot. Um, and then from about 37 weeks onwards, I would get prodromal labour, um, you know, every couple of days. 
and think that, you know, it, this is it, this is it, and start timing contractions and, and it wasn't it. And so I think it was because he was posterior that that was happening, but it basically happened. I went to 42 weeks, so my due date was the 21st of December um, based on the ultrasound, and then based on my dates, it was actually the 16th of December. So you can imagine by the time I got to the day he was actually born, I was out of my mind. It was like 30, 30th of December. I was, yeah, going crazy basically. And, and now I understand why women are like, oh, I'm 40 and two because like every single day feels like a week. You know, I never wondered why. Like, I always wondered why they did a plus like at the end of it, like 40 plus two. Now I know. Um, but, yeah, I experienced that a lot. And then at 41 weeks I experienced like a decrease in movement from him and so I went to the hospital again and they did an ultrasound and said that everything was fine um, from what they could see. They could see, you know, like um, the waters and the cord and everything was fine in that regard. Um, but the way they phrased it to me was, oh, well, if you if you can trust yourself, you know, to, to know that everything's fine, well, then we won't have to do anything or we can induce you if you want, you know, and so now I can see kind of how, like, as a birth worker, I can see how women can be um, not coerced because they didn't coerce me, but it was, like, quite intense in terms of, like, you do just want the baby to come out. Like, you are worried that something is wrong, you know, but then you kind of have to, like, go in, go within and be like, is this actually fear or is there actually something wrong, you know, and that's what I had to do with myself. I was just, like, tuned in and it was so good because my midwife was so supportive and was just like, you don't, you know, you don't need to get induced or do anything that they're suggesting. Just like go within and check in with your baby and with yourself and see, you know, what feels right. And so I did that and we walked out of the hospital and I was like, everything's fine. Like he's just running out of room. And so we came home and then I think, couple of days later so that was on boxing day and then yeah on the 29th I woke up and I was having regular contractions and these ones felt different like they felt full-on labor contractions so I was like all right sweet which the other ones felt like full-on labor contractions too so I thought but then yeah these ones were different um and I think that that's the mind f with um with prodromal labor is people call it false labor or, you know, I actually even called it false labor before, but it is still real labor. Like everything that's happening is like ripening your body and getting you ready to have your baby. And this is what I was discussing with my friend is that we always focus on like postpartum, but there's like that, there's that period from 37 weeks that I like to call prepartum. And it's like, you are in labor, you are like you're preparing your body for the birth, like whether when that actually happens could happen anywhere between 37, 42, yes. But, you know, those five weeks are still like, like I feel should be treated as reverently as we do the postpartum, you know. We should be slowing down and getting as much help as we can. And I really noticed the um, – I was feeling very exhausted and needing a lot of help with my toddler and, you know, just help around the house and cooking and – all the things that you would expect postpartum. And so that's part of my work now. I've incorporated that into my packages of being able to support women through that as well as the postpartum because I feel like that's something that's kind of 
looked over. It's like, oh, the birth is very focused on, but not the prep preparing, like the very, um, the, got, the dropping into the portal that, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, how did, once things sort of kicked off, how did it progress from there? Did, were you, last time you could sort of tell the difference between active labour starting and, and what was just um, that kind of false labour at the beginning. So did you have the same kind of sensation that you knew this time that it was actually happening when it did? Yeah, well, I thought I did. Um, so, yeah, on the 29th, I think I started to say this before, but then I got trailed off. <laughs> but, yeah, um, the on the 29th I woke up and I had, yeah, completely different contractions. And I was like, oh, this, is, this feels real. So we went for, like, a walk to the park and walked back and they were coming every five minutes. And so I was like, okay, you know, I, we might meet our baby today. And basically, by as the day went on, the contractions faced out again. And I was just getting so frustrated. I was, yeah, getting, I was so angry. I was snappy. I was like, oh, I just want to have this baby. My body's hurting, you know. Like, I it got to the night time and they didn't go away. They kept like going and they were actually very intense and so I was I labored all through the night in the shower um and you know talking to my midwife but because they didn't get closer together you know she didn't come over or anything because yeah it wasn't it wasn't time and then in the morning I like they, they didn't stop so it went like they got further apart but yeah they didn't stop so they're still every 10 minutes so I wasn't able to sleep or eat or anything like that. And um, I got to the next day and um, my midwife's like, what do you want to do? You know, I felt so deflated uh, because I was in so much pain and so tired. But, yeah, nothing was really happening. And so we spoke about my options of going to hospital and getting induced and uh, every fibre of my being was like, I do not want to do that. Like I just knew that it was like not right for me. Um, I know that I'm terrified in hospitals and so anxious and that I wouldn't want to go unless like it was a medical emergency basically. Um, and so my midwife did a stretch and sweep on me because it had worked so well in getting my first birth going. And she did a stretch and sweep and it was really nice because, you know, I was in my own bed. Um, the risk of bacterial infection is really low when you're in your own environment. Um, I know my mid midwife is super gentle, so um, the risk of, you know, your premature rupture of membranes is also quite low. Um, and, yeah, basically as soon as she did that stretch and sweep, it was on. Like I had contractions that were coming three to four minutes apart and that was so intense. And because he was posterior, I was getting like double peaked contractions of like the front contraction and the back contraction. And um, yeah, it was very, uh, very intense. Um, and then five and a half hours later, he was born. I also, I don't like, you know, people like, oh, we should, you know, talk about contractions being, you know, waves and that kind of thing. And I agree to a certain point, but there's also like a realness and rawness of birth of like, yes, it does hurt for some people. And yes, it is painful and it is raw and you're bringing through a life through your body. You know what I mean? So in the language I'm using, it probably does sound quite intense to some people that um, are used to, you know, hearing the more gentle hypnobirthing style, calm birth style language but for me so that's why I'm you know using the language that I'm using just as a disclaimer mm, um, yeah. but yeah so basically there were double peaked contractions and 
um, yeah, front and back. Like, so I'd get it in my womb and then in my back. And yeah, it was very intense. But basically, an hour after my midwife left, so she did the stretch and sweep and then left, I was calling her on the phone. And I was like, you have to come back here. It's happening so fast. Like, and it was so intense. Like, compared to my daughter, who, oh, it, oh sorry, I forgot to say, my daughter's birth was 24 hours from start to finish and or 23 and a half and then so this one because I'd had all that early labor but I felt like it was going so much faster and it was so much more intense I call it like fast and the furious compared to her like soft and slow um and yeah and so I called my midwife and she came back and I actually said to her like I really want you to check me um because she she had checked me before the stretch and sweep um, just to kind of see where that early labor had been going. And so it was basically four centimeters around about then. And so when she came back, um, I said I wanted her to check and she was kind of like, are you sure you want me to check? Because she's very much like aligned with, you know, uh, feeling into your body and um, not having that external um, input. And I agree, but I also, yeah, because I'd had so much false labor, I was like, I just want to know, is it progressing? And so basically I was seven centimeters when she checked me and that was an hour after she had done the stretch and sweep or maybe it was an hour and a half. Um, and then, yeah, about an hour after, oh, hold on, you know how I said about the timing, I'm like trying to think that wasn't right. No, so maybe the seven centimeters was, three hours after she did the stretch and sweep. And then basically an hour later, she was like, how are you feeling now? And when I tuned into my body, I actually had felt my cervix snap up. Like I felt the last bit of cervical lip kind of snap in a weird sensation. And I feel like I felt so many more sensations in this birth than I did in my other one because it's almost like I almost feel like all the lights uh, on inside like whereas they weren't before if that makes sense like all the nerve endings they're all like switched on so you can feel so much more and um yeah and so I felt my cervix snap up and I was like you know how I'm feeling I feel like I want to push and she's like okay well then let's go push him out you know and so it was really beautiful because she put the um put the decision not the decision but like put it back onto me of what to do instead of telling me what to do. It was like asking me and trusting me and then that then trust made me trust myself um, and tuning into myself and using my intuition because I've been very intuitive my whole pregnancy. So, yeah, it was like really beautiful. And, um, yeah, so I started pushing and I think an hour after I started pushing, he came out, although it felt like it was like five minutes after I started pushing, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely had the urge to push this time with him and yeah, it was a very intense urge. So that was good. Um, and because he was posterior, I felt like his spine against my spine. I felt his whole, felt his shoulders like drop into my pelvis. Like, yeah, I just, I felt everything. It was crazy. And um, as well, my I think that he moved into an anterior position just before he was born because I was on my hands and knees basically the entire labor because I knew that that was how to get him to turn. And I think as well, it was like my body is like intuitively was like, this is how we're going to get him out. Um, and so this time around, he was a land birth. So I didn't have the birth pool. It was just too much for me to kind of comprehend on how to set up in a rental house and you know I just I didn't want to have like 
water leaking and all of this stuff. So I just decided to have him not in the pool and we have on-demand hot water here, thank God, this time. <laughs> um, it was the best blessing ever. I was like, yes. Um, and, yeah, sorry about that. Noisy car. Um, yeah, and so I was sitting on the toilet pushing. My partner, again, like was behind me. Um, and I, I knew from the last time that getting into a squat would get him out. And so I got into a squatting position and felt his head engage straight away. And my partner's holding me from behind. And he he didn't do like, or he did, his head did do the restitution thing, but he didn't come out as like slow as my daughter. He literally like shot out onto the floor um, and Georgina caught him. And after I was like, did you catch him? She was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> like, I just didn't perceive it at all. Um, and, yeah, his his membranes also didn't rupture until right at the end um, as well. So, yeah, and I think the only difference with that was that I had been, like, I had lost bits of my mucus plug, for, like, the day before. So I knew I was going, like, into labour. So that was the difference between him and my daughter in terms of that. But, yeah. Um, he shot out and she kind of she didn't catch him in terms of like she didn't bring him up to me she just left him on the ground in her hands and was like do you want to pick him up and I was like oh yeah and later she explained to me it's she thinks it's really important to you know let that mother let the mother have that that pause in between like the baby coming out and then you actually receiving the baby because you know a lot of mothers that catch the baby like then get to pause that for themselves rather than, you know, someone else just throwing the baby up onto your chest when you don't even know what's happening. And so I thought that that was really cool because, yeah, it did really give me a chance to kind of land back in my body again and then go, oh, yeah, there's a baby, and then bring him up. Um, but, yeah. Mm. Yeah, amazing. And it can be quite like particularly when you're so deep in that birthing brain and then suddenly a baby appears, it can be a bit of a an adjustment to remember that that was the purpose of what you were doing and yes. <laughs> maybe it's going to appear right I felt like that like I just I was just so in the moment and I was just like doing labor and doing birth and I'd totally forgotten about the baby bit and then suddenly she yes. was but um yeah that's really lovely that your midwife was kind of yeah gave you that little break to to land again and, and pick her up when you were ready mm. Him up, yeah sorry. And in, in my brain, that went for, like, 30 seconds, you know. There was a massive pause, but in the video, it's, like, one second. <laughs> like, it's such a, a quick thing. And actually, I always say that the trippiest moment of my entire life was looking down when my daughter was being born and seeing her head in between my legs. I, like, it was, like, it was like the most trippy moment of my life. I was, like, what the hell? There's a, a human coming out of me. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, um. And what were those first moments like after birth when you were holding her and, um, yeah, how did things sort of play out from there? I think you mentioned that you had a little bit of bleeding after birth. Yeah, so um, it was really weird because in my all my visualisations of this birth, I always saw like a pool of blood and I was trying to like push it out of my brain of like, no, that's just my fear, you know, that's not what's going to happen and I was like trying to push it out and so when I looked down when Georgina was holding him there was like blood there I was like oh there's a lot of blood and she's like oh but it's fluid as well so in my 
visualizations, I didn't realize it was fluid as well as blood. You know what I mean? Like, so I actually didn't lose that much blood at all. I only lost 20, uh, 20 mil, 200 mil. Um, yeah, which is, yeah, like nothing compared to some women. And so that visualization was obviously, yeah, the fluid mixed with the blood. And so, yeah, um, I had to really surrender into that to trust my body and trust my midwives and um, know that it was going to be okay, you know, even if I did have a bleed, you know, that they that they had got this and, you know, we had all of the um, precautions in place for that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I also tore, so I had a second-degree tear, so I think that that's why there was a bit of blood, like, on my bubba and also, like, like in the in the puddle on the ground. Um, but yeah, basically my daughter came in shortly after, um, with my mum and she was like, baby, there's a baby. Like, I think she saw him like shoot out of me. I think that they got there just in time because it all happened so fast. My friend who was filming like ran downstairs to be like, his head's born. So they ran upstairs and yeah, it all happened so fast that I think she saw him shoot out. Um, but yeah, then I held him and I, they put me on a birth stool and to see if I could birth the placenta immediately. And I just, I felt really weak and it's like, I didn't want to be sitting on a stool. And so I was like, can I just like go lay down? And they were like, yeah. And so I went and laid down and then I think half an hour later, um, I think actually written in the book, it's like 45 minutes later, but yeah, then I birthed the placenta and it was literally the best feeling ever. It was like, Oh, I don't know how to explain it, but I was like, oh, I'm not pregnant anymore. Like as soon as I like birthed the placenta, it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually yelled out, I never have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Which now I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do it again. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Oh, gosh. And, um, yeah, we're, we're running a little bit um kind of short on time but would you like to share a bit about what your adjustment has been like to being a mum of two and um, I think you've mentioned I I got the feeling when you were speaking about this pregnancy that there was quite a lot of anxiety coming up Um, yeah would you like to talk about um, how that kind of um, went on to affect your postpartum as well Yes, I will do. Sorry about the um, short on time. I do want to be Basically, everything was fine with breastfeeding. Like, he latched straight away and everything was perfect in that sense. My partner was super supportive. He, he had five weeks off. Um, two of those weeks were before the baby was born, though, because of the fact that he went over. Um, and, yeah, so basically from about day three or four, I just started getting, like, really intense anxiety and sadness but you know they just say it's the baby blues and that it will go away and um it didn't really and it's just kind of stayed around and so I've been working with my naturopath and um my I actually have a son she's amazing and um I've been doing lots of work with that and um around my nutrition as well like with my naturopath so working on you know I really feel like a lot of my anxiety and my um, depression personally has to do with depletion so um, there's a really good book called the postpartum depletion cure I don't know if any or postnatal depletion cure I don't know if anyone has read it or you know um, but it's really good if you want to like understand what happens to your body basically when you have a baby and then 
breastfeeding and you know all of that it's really important to keep yourself nourished but it can be kind of a um uh what do you call it like a cycle of like you're too tired to nourish yourself properly so then you feel depressed and depleted and then that makes you too tired to nourish yourself properly you know so it's like this this feedback uh feedback loop and um I was really fortunate my um my friends bought me some postpartum um food from I think it's called the golden month and they do, yeah, postpartum packs for women and they're available around, all around Australia, which is really cool. Um, that's part of what I do in my business, though. I do um, like tailored um, food packages for women to really support them in that postpartum period because it's like the most um, crucial time to set you up and set you up with foundation and building blocks for you and your bubba. Um, especially when you're giving so much from your body, like you just grew a human and then you have to sustain that human with your body, you know, you need to make sure that everything is like, um, that you're really well nourished. And so that's what I've been doing with myself to try and bring myself out of this like anxious and depressed state, which, um, I feel is really working. I working with the herbs is really helping. Um, and yeah, I think that another thing that I've noticed is, uh, postpartum anger and rage is part of my postpartum depression. And I really resonate with a podcast called the good enough mother. Do you, have you heard it? Uh, I've heard of it, but I, I don't know anything about it. So feel free to share. <laughs> yeah, no, she's awesome. And she, she's a sociologist and she talks about like mother rage and how we're not, we don't really talk about it, mother anger. And it's not really spoken about. And sometimes it's a symptom of um, postnatal anxiety and postnatal depression. Um, and so, yeah, I just really like the way she talks about that stuff. So, yeah, um, I think that. As well, like I think there's a lot of uh, people always talk about, you know, traumatic births um, being the reason why women end up with postnatal depression. But, you know, I had two amazing births and I feel like I experienced depression and anxiety after both of them. And um, even my doctor said 70% of women experience it. And so that's that's massive. That's a massive Mm -hmm. number. And then I also wonder... That are those other 30% just not reaching out, you know? So is it just something that everyone experiences after birth, you know? Because it's a massive adjustment whether it's one or two uh, or three or ten children, you know? Um, it's still a massive adjustment. And, yeah, I've noticed as well, like, my relationship with my daughter has changed. Um, and you can't really predict how that's going to happen. Like, um, I feel like every time you have a baby, it's like you die during birth, like that part of you dies like me and birthing myself into a mother of two and then prior to that you know me as my maiden self dying and then becoming a mother of one so yeah I think that yeah it's massive shift and our culture doesn't doesn't really support women in that way or it's not really talked about that much Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing about it because, um, you know, even each individual conversation and each individual person choosing to um, talk about those things just brings it more to the forefront of pregnant women. And I think, yeah, if more women were aware of how common that is and, and what some of the early and mild kind of signs of postpartum anxiety and depression um are, then the more likely they are to be able to pick up on it and seek help at the time. And um, 
yeah, I mean, probably just about every single person who's given birth could benefit from, um, you know, assistance in the emotional and psychological adjustment after birth anyway, and that's not something that's routinely offered. But, yeah, definitely breaking down the stigma of seeking help and, and even if that's just through conversations with each other and friends and family um, rather than, you know, potentially not needing, um, you know, to be speaking to a psychologist or getting medication, but, you know, being aware of it and, and having conversations about it and bringing it right out into the open can only be a good thing. 100%, 100%. And also with the medication thing, you know, um, a lot of doctors are really pill happy in terms of um, uh, prescribing pills for things, but I'm very much holistic in terms of like before you go to that step, obviously there's a time and a place. If you can't get out of bed and you're just crying all the time, there's a time and a place, you know, for medication. But if you just look at like what your like your foundations basically like your food and your drink and your diet and um exercise you know all of these things first and also seeing a psychologist could like talk therapy before you jump into the medication realm because it can just be kind of like they can see it as a quick fix or like as like a band-aid you know but at the end of the day if you don't have that like stable nourishment as the base then even if you are taking medication it's still not going to be effective you know Mm, yeah mm. yeah well thank you so much for speaking about it and sharing your two beautiful birth stories it's such a pleasure to get to chat to you yeah thank you so much for having me and for um yeah holding space for me to be able to share and um yeah thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with Kirsty. She's actually a holistic birth keeper and doula herself, and you can find links to her website and her Instagram in the show notes. She's practicing out of Brisbane, so if you're pregnant and you're located in Brisbane and looking for a doula, um, yeah, definitely check out her page. And I look forward to bringing you another episode next week.